Brooklyn Poets, the Opcast for October 8th, 2018. Featuring poet J.P. Howard leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off Smith Street, near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more info and to sign up for the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Jerry Wagoner, Phil Eggers, Melanie Lee, Bill Livingston, Haley Milliken, Molly Watson, Shanice Hughes-Greenberg, Harvey Sauce, Jen Ozero, Alan Braverman, Richard Fine, Nikki Ritchie, Arthur Russell, Shara Hardison, Akosua Koku, Julie Hart, Christian Lillis, Stacy Skolnick, and Tosca DiMatteo. So let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for October. Enjoy. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back in action. How's everyone doing? Good, Richard. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, Alan. Good to see all the people that were not here for the Jewish holiday are back and ready to kick ass at the open mic. Uh, I am Jason Koo. If you don't know me, executive director of Brooklyn Poets. This is the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic. Uh, this is now, uh, I was talking to, I think, Emma earlier. This is now the, we're going on the sixth year of the Brooklyn Poets Yop. Uh, it's been many yops. I've been at every single one. <laughs> I think it's like, it's like over 65 of them now. So it's incredible. Uh, my baseball team lost today, so be extra nice to me, Cleveland Indians. It, you know, the curse is real. The curse of Chief Wahoo. You really can't make this. It's Columbus Day, and they got, they got swept in the playoffs for the first time since 1954. You know what happened in 1954? They added that racist fucking logo to their hat. That's what happened. They won 111 games that year and got swept in the World Series. The curse is fucking real. Someone told me it was Columbus Day. I was like, my God. And next year, they're finally getting rid of the logo. So I bet they'll win. I'm pretty sure they're going to win the world title next year. So I'm going to record this now for posterity. Check back next year see if see if it happens. We'll see. Or maybe they're just cursed forever. <laughs> maybe that's how it works. Anyway, uh, most of you don't care about baseball, so I'm sorry for that. Uh, you are here for poetry. If you haven't been here before, even if you have, let's go over the ground rules for the open mic. You get one poem, three minutes max on the mic. We ask that you keep to your time and your poem limit simply for the sake of the other poets in the room. I, would, of course, would love to hear you read more poems. We all would, but then we would be here till like 2 a.m., and we can't do that. Um, so, uh, we have people on the wait list. If you're on the wait list, I'm pretty sure you're going to read tonight because at least three or four people didn't show up. I don't know why. They're, I don't think there's, I guess it's Columbus Day. They're celebrating that shit because they're racist too. I don't know what's, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. It's not a day to celebrate, you know? So, uh, maybe they're like, you know, uh, fighting some racists themselves. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, they didn't show up. So if you're on the wait list, you're probably going to read. 
if you didn't get to sign up, uh, you might sign up now <laughs> for the wait list. Uh, usually the advanced list uh, sign, uh, fills up pretty quickly. This month it filled up in two days. So that gives you the window for about the amount of time you need to sign up. Uh, three minutes max on the mic, one poem. We do record the open mic as a podcast. We call it the Yopcast. Uh, it is recording right now. If you don't want to be in the recording, you don't have to be. Just tell me. I can take you off. I would love it if you would subscribe. We've got, I think, seven five-star reviews now. So give a round of applause to all you fucking beautiful people that finally <laughs> reviewed it after months and months and months of me, me pleading for a single other review besides my own. Um, so, I mean, I can tell people are listening to it because I see the place, but uh, wow, seven. Look at how many people come. This is not even, this is, October is a low month. There's usually 85 people here, so, you know, 85 five-star reviews is better than seven, yeah? So let's do this. We got a couple months <laughs> until the holidays. I think we can make it happen. That would be your Christmas present to me. Um, and we also vote for poem of the month. Do we have a wine spill? She's, she's, so, she's so nice about it. She's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> I was watching the Browns yesterday, and someone got excited. We scored, and they like dumped like a jug of beer in the back of my legs. That was nice. Uh, what was I saying? We vote for Poem of the Month every month. We call it the Yop Poem of the Month, <laughs> predictably. Uh, and the 12 winners of Poem of the Month square off uh, for the Poem of the Year Smackdown, which is coming very soon now. It's coming in December. The December Yop is just two months away, so there's only two spots left. Tonight's spot and November spot, all right? So uh, if you won before, of course, you can't win again in the same year. But if you haven't won before, you got two more chances, and uh, you can compete for Poem of the Year at the end of the year. If you win Poem of the Month, you get free mission to a Yop. Uh, if you win Poem of the Year, you get cash money and a Broken Poets membership and a T-shirt. It's fucking awesome. You get Poet of the Week feature if you haven't already been featured. So uh, it's a great thing. Uh, we vote for Poem of the Month with a text message. So you just text me. I'm going to give you my number for the first time tonight. You ready? Some of you have it already. If you don't, maybe now is the time to write it down. Get out your phone. 718-374-1953. Only vote once. Don't tell your friends that aren't here to vote. It's happened before. It's super fucked up. Don't be that person, right? The curse is real, all right? <laughs> Learn from the Cleveland Indians, you know. Don't fuck with the gods. Okay, so before we start our open mic, sorry, 718-374-1953. I will repeat that several times. 718-374-1953. All right. I love this leaf you have in your mouth right now. That was such a beautiful picture. If I had my camera. Your whole outfit is actually beautiful. Look at this ensemble. Let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> that is a poet's outfit right there. Why can't you all dress this way? Come on. <laughs> I mean, look at how I'm dressed tonight. This is like baseball gear. Okay, uh, before we start our open mic proper, we're going to hear from our featured poet tonight. Give it up for J.P. Howard. Hey, everybody. Hi, everybody. Is it working? Did I? Oh, this way. Oh, yeah, okay. Lower. Yeah, lower a little bit. Thank you. That's better. Okay. Great. Hi. A little better? Hopefully, okay. Hi. Thanks for everybody who was here for the Yop. Loved hearing folks work, and hopefully you'll work on it. Um, I'm just going to share a few poems. I'm going to start with a poem that is pretty much how I'm feeling after this week. Bedtime poem for America. If this body is black, is blue, is you. You a country I won't ever trust. This country is foreign. This foreign is familiar. Tastes almost like home. 
like mama's peach cobbler gone bad. This blue is my body. This red is my blood. This blood tastes like home. These stars sewn on black of my skin shine when night comes. I wear this tattoo for you, America. Spread your white sheets on my bed. Tomorrow, I will rip you to shreds. Thank you. Um, I live in Brooklyn now, but I was born in Sugar Hill, Harlem. Um, so this poem for Sugar Hill, Harlem, and this was in the Black Girl Magic Anthology that came out this year. This poem for Peanut, who robbed Mama and me in our elevator when I was nine. He was high on that stuff. This poem for Squeak Squeak, our chihuahua, who didn't say peep in that elevator when we was being robbed. Mama said he was a good-for-nothing little pet, but I ain't stopped loving him. This poem for Tiff, Peanut's sister. She was my best friend until that happened. This poem for Miss Mary up on Amsterdam Ave, who was married to Mr. Leon, the numbers runner. Every day I went to their candy store, gave them $20 for grandma's daily news and daily numbers, and sometimes Miss Mary would give me a handful of green apple Jolly Ranchers if she saw me staring at the display behind the counter too long. This poem for Grandma Pearl, the year she hit the numbers for 5,000 was like magic. She paid for Mama and me to take a bus ride to Disney World all the way from Harlem. Didn't matter it was a bus, and we was the only ones who spoke English because everybody was so happy to get to the Magic Kingdom. Anyhow, Mama's Spanish wasn't half bad, was enough to make a bunch of new friends on that long-ass bus ride. This poem for Mama, who didn't drink a lick that whole trip. I wanted to thank Miss Mary and Mr. Leon and send them a thank you note for those lucky numbers. But Mama just sucked her teeth and said, just tell them in person when we get back, baby girl. Anyhow, you know those numbers ain't legal, right? This poem for that long ass trip back home to Sugar Hill, Harlem, and our elevator up on 149th Street that I wouldn't ride again for next seven years. Each year, our neighbor on the first floor, Miss Janice and Mama, asked Mama, girl, that child still walking up those stairs? While she shook her head in disgust, eventually, Peanut went to jail. Then Tiff had a baby our junior year of high school. We stayed friends. I just didn't tell Mama when I went to our family's place over on convent. Her baby looked just like the dolls we played with growing up, except cuter. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I'm just going to read one more. I'm going to end with a short poem from my book, uh, Say Mirror, which is available if anybody wants it. Um, and this is for anyone who is going through or has gone through a difficult time. What to say to a friend who wants to give up? Say, I love you, even when you can't love yourself. Say, please, please, not today. Say, too much life unlived. Say, mirror. Say, beautiful. Say, this arm, take this arm. Say, grab. Say, hold. Say, let tears fall. Say, tears heal. Say, forgive your mama. Say, she did the best she could. Say, tomorrow. Say, sleep. Say, split second, split 
the seconds, say let the seconds turn into days. Say today, say tomorrow, say sun, say warm, say skin, say warm skin, say sunlight, say new day, say breathe, say inhale, say exhale, say not today baby girl, say so much life to live, say love, say I love you, say hold on, hold on to love. Thank you guys. Thank you, JP. If you want to buy JP's book, it's over there for sale in the back. I'm sure she'd be happy to sign it for you. Our first reader off the open mic list is Jerry Wagoner. Give it up for Jerry. All right, this is a short poem, so I, I, and I do have to introduce it a little bit. Uh, old Brooklyn people will know that on December 19, 1960, there was a fire at the Brooklyn Navy Yard in which an aircraft carrier they were working on. Uh, Fifty men died and 300 and some were injured. And um, I'm currently uh, a visiting artist at the Brooklyn Navy Yard under the Development Corporation writing a poetic history of the Brooklyn Navy Yard from back to the prison ships till now. And uh, so trying to get this era, I decided I would do something for that particular event, which, uh, you know, I started in some Audenesque kind of thing about who gets remembered in tragedy. And anyway, it, it came out to be, when I was done, this. And uh, a mule is what they used to call a forklift. Or, well, yeah, they called a forklift a mule back in those days, all right? And this is from the point of view of somebody who was critical. <clears throat> Will Craven, December 19th, 1960. Cocky, I wheeled back my mule in a sharp arc, tapped an easy-to-forget dumpster that shifted steel plate and sheared the valve off a jet fuel tank, now spewing like beer binge vomit across her delta pubes and cascading below decks onto hot work in the zipper V. Did I fuck her? It's easy to seal the bulkhead hatch, forget it was a drawing, and red ants make mounds of sticks and stalks. I poked and riled their hill, my face down close, so forgot their frenzied teeming attack beyond my socks. A thousand pricks swarm my legs, my arms, my back, my neck. Too damned easy to forget it's the dumb shit that gets us all killed. <laughs> All right, Jerry, thank you. Our next reader is a opera who has been here before. I'm sure you've heard him. If you've been here, give it up for Phil Eggers. Hello. This is difficult without Arthur Russell here to do this for me. It's called Swipe Right. You hope your next match ends in divorce. 
You'd like to wrap yourself up in someone else's red flags, let cozy intimacy turn and crescendo into frenzied chaos, and slowly rip at each other's sanity like freshly healing scabs. Something nice like that. You want a love that begins and ends and tells a harrowing tale, one full of deceit and betrayal and misguided intentions, with noble efforts of redemption through candlelight conversations that last from midnight to sunup, make-up sex that is sweet and pure yet reiterates just how bad of an idea this all was from the get-go. Let this love end in bombast and hyperbole and accusations and unrelenting heartbreak. Not something that feels as monosyllabic as it sounds. Death. Death by politeness and pleasantries. Death by habits and routines carved into stone. Death by comfortable silences. Death by, what if? Oh well. Death by death, cut to black, and now you're alone. Alone with no chance of a chance encounter on the sidewalk of some borough you rarely visit or alternating weekends with the kids where you bribe them with candy and cash in order to curry extra favor, or drunk dials begging to be taken back. I swear I've changed. No, none of that. You weigh these two options in your head as you plan out a potential first date. And so you swipe right, searching for a little bit of darkness behind a pair of pretty eyes. And so you swipe right, searching for someone to ride out a storm of inner voices thundering out, this will not end well. <laughs> and so you swipe right, searching for the one who will share a mutual attraction to long-term self-destruction. <laughs> and so you swipe right, and so you find your match, and so you light that fuse. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Real good shit so far. Does anyone still use Tinder? Wow, people are just like, <laughs> hands are going up. I love it. They're like, hell yeah. I used that for like two months. 2000. Definitely my, pre, definitely my premarital years. <laughs> I know, it's not because I, like, I didn't like it. It's just, I'm fucking Asian, man. You think that shit works for me? No. <laughs> Works for Asian girls, not for Asian guys. The only girls that matched with me were Asian girls. <laughs> I went on two Tinder dates. I would look at my dates Tinder. They, they had like hundreds of, just unbelievable. <laughs> I had like nine. Racism in action, motherfuckers. Racism in action. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't even process that. I'm so not used to hearing that. Um, <laughs> that was such a great moment. Uh, let's move on. Our next reader is Melanie Lee. Give it up for Melanie. Um, I was going to read something else, but it was such a bad weekend that I decided to do this. It's called Fort Green Park Christmas, Recycling Light. Exult, the trees have my tongue. 
26 cut Christmas pines stolen from the dump pile have marched two by two up the dusty field in the middle of the night, stuck in by as someone with guts. Clearly, face to face, climbing the hill, making a new path for our eyes, our feet, to the tower of the prison ship's martyrs, King Carlos's gift from Spain, a protest against cruelties of war 250 years ago, a testament of squalor and valor, a guide to faith and love, mounting across oceans and generations and the night. Decades ago, on Christmas Eve, at the cusp of my 18th birthday, I stood with others in the church vestibule, all of us ready to hoist the tall, white, peppery torches and lead the sanctuary in light, singing Adeste Fideles through full throttle, facing each other at every other pew. Come, let us adore him. Oh, come. I didn't even know if I believed, but we loved the light, every one of us in the dark. Hark, we sang full throat. When I peeped out the door afterwards, prickling cold and sorrow draped my shoulders. A few unreachable muffled coats and hats still walked up Lexington Avenue. They nearly drew me out. Did any even have the part light I had? Could they see what I saw behind me? A winter's listlessness surrounded me for years after I left that church. Until this day in January, when someone in the cold night plucked fading green trees from a pile and planted them rootless, pointing a deste up our hill while we slept. Even the cops who took them down for safety that night must have exalted and been glad. Thank you, Melanie. Okay, uh, our next reader, is, the name was crossed out and Bill Livingston is in there. It looks like Bill, did, you didn't cross out the name, did you? <laughs> Someone gave you their spot? That would be really hardcore if you just like crossed out someone's name. <laughs> I, I would almost have to respect that. Uh, anyway, I'm assuming the other person crossed their own name out, so give it, out, uh, give it up for Bill Livingston. Going for Jason. This is called The Savaging. While you were talking in my sleep, shadows were constructed in which to ply our vices. Yet we still need the light from our phones to see how we kill ourselves as the windshield becomes the rear view and the gravel under our wheels turns to boulders. A small girl has her back to us, so it seems. She's facing us, but her face is in her hood. You can't really tell, but her mouth is sewn shut with threads from the wrinkled suits of ancient senators, because a scream muffled by mere flesh wasn't enough. The resulting infection of her lips, a pre-existing condition. Their dream is our nightmare as she holds a coat hanger dripping with blood and fetus, the scales of liberty at her feet, tarnished and broken for at least 40 years, one of its trays now used to serve rounds of beer, 
And the dirt of the earth is now our inspiration, the sky our expiration. The timeline is out of our hands, the lifeline of our palms becomes shorter, and we shrug off what comes. Thank you, Bill. Our next reader is, I believe, a Yop debuter. Give it up for Haley Milliken. Hello, thank you. I'm like a little short for this, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. This is a cool microphone. Um, this poem is called Catch as Catch Can. Uh, it's about how disappointing men are. <laughs> I guess. I shouldn't describe lovers as fish. My grandfather taught me how to ride a river. My father how to string a line, how to cast prey as predator, grip the slippery rubber band snap of the earthworm, glide it pop over the hook, living things we trade for our own pleasure. I liked how the tinier trout's bones cracked under my teeth, cooked with potatoes and onions on the barbecue, close to how I like men who break who push lovingly on my esophagus, unrelenting, leading into boring. I am honestly not sure if I could be doing better, fucking better. Only two options to swipe. Where are these mystics, these unfeeling, painfully attractive beings I was promised in adulthood if I set myself up as trap? Are they as likely as a 70-pound trout on a river run in the shallows mid-dead of summer? More accurately, a bottom feeder I should return, throw back to its destiny of cloying dirt and boredom. Give it up for Haley, Yop debuter. That was our second Tinder reference tonight, wow. This writes two of every five poets going to mention Tinder. We're <laughs> going to have some new Tinder dates by the end of the night. Uh, pro tip, don't turn the mic this way because what happens is the photos look terrible. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like you're like about to drink the mic. So uh, I tried to do my best, Haley, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Uh, our next reader has been here before. Give it up for Molly Watson. So I wrote this at the airport on Saturday night when I was watching the news recap of the day. Um, and it was, to say the least, upsetting. <laughs> we were together at the time, and I told myself that that's what made it fine. It's been years, so why does it matter? But my hands still shake as I write this, because I never told anybody. I was afraid that my world would shatter. For years, I wrote it off as a drunken miscommunication. I told myself I must have led him on, because isn't that what our society has taught us to believe? That we're always responsible for our own violation? But I can finally see that gave him no right to my autonomy. To this day, I remember the way his mouth hung slightly open. Whether it was rum or lust, I feel the button on my shorts broken. I still hear the panic cracking through my voice, please stop. 
And the way my body froze and the lights and the stairwell had kind of a flicker because I just tried to focus on those. Her pain is ours because she is a we and I am you. So today I'm, I'm writing this. Hashtag me too. Thank you, Molly. Damn straight. Uh, I got so caught up in talking about the Indians, I totally forgot about Brett fucking Kavanaugh. Fuck you, dude. Let's put that on the podcast, too. Um, to recap, God, what a shitty weekend it was. Only the, only the Cleveland Browns won. That's the only good thing that happened this weekend. And that never happens. So like, what does that mean? Uh, the first six readers, that was Molly Watson. Before that was Haley Milliken, Bill Livingston, Melanie Lee, Phil Eggers, and Jerry Wagoner. If you want to think about who you want to vote for, please vote at the end, by the way. Don't vote now. Uh, our next reader is, I think, another newcomer. I'm going to see if I can read this name. Is it Shanice Hughes Green? Is that Greenberg? Greenberg? Shan is Shanice right? Okay, nice. Shanice Hughes Greenberg, everyone. Give it up. Give it up. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, it's my first time here. Thank you for having me. After the house burns down. My grandparents' house doesn't age. Or it does, but I fail to notice. I take a photo of my grandmother at the kitchen sink, her floor-length cape and gold jewelry immaculate. She wore hats. My mother called the place a shrine, <clears throat> as if we had died, with all the baby photos smiling on the walls. My four-year-old hands and cracking paint in their bedroom. Me as a frowning ballerina on the closet door. The note I wrote to my grandfather telling him I love him, but he can be mean. After the house burns down, they came to my dorm room and I played Diana Ross on my iPod and my grandfather tapped along to the beat with his good foot. After the house burns down, my family falls apart. During one summer spent with my grandparents, I win a basket of cheer at the block party. I am too young to know this is alcohol. In time-lapse trips to the airport, we watch them dismantle Shea Stadium. My grandfather roots for the New York teams, and so do I. I begin taking records home before I have a player. I look at my mother's yearbook, her short afro, white cowl neck sweater, my grandfather with 70s weight and glasses. After the house burns down, they help me move to Crown Heights south of Eastern Parkway, the pepper factory. My grandfather sends me a picture of Ebbets Field, which in another memory sat around the corner. Later, I find it taped to the wall behind his desk. They grab hands and bow heads in prayer, and my friends do the same. The voicemail my grandmother left about a key found in the moving truck. After the house burns down, I get sick the following spring. I've never seen the city warm from the inside. My grandfather pays my hospital bill, and again the second time without me knowing. Or I know, but we don't discuss this. My license turns up in the mail, and they drive it back to me. 
I am the guest at Sunday service, and the congregation smiles at me, and I forget their names, but no faces. We rip up the carpet while he's in the hospital. After the house burns down, I read the poem about them in the rose garden. I don't know if they understand, but they tell me how proud they are, and it shows. The snow globe from Easter stops working. My grandmother begins repeating questions. Baby love, my baby love, tell me what did I do wrong to make you stay away so long? Thank you. All right, that was beautiful, Shanice. Uh, Arthur Russell is showing up, everyone. If you need help with the mic, <laughs> should be happy to help you. Is this seat free, Jen? Is that seat free? Yeah. If you want. Uh, do you want to sit here now? We really want you to sit here, in fact. <laughs> it, it helps. This is Arthur Russell, everyone, if you don't know him. Former Yawper of the Year, Poem of the Year winner. Um, just a word, some of you just signed up, which is cool. Just know that uh, we'll try to get to you, but uh, the advance list fills, like I said, in two days. <laughs> so the time to sign up for the next one is right after this one. Uh, okay, our next reader is Harvey Sauce. Give it up for Harvey. Oh, that's a big move. You never uh, <laughs> I'm not commenting on that. Um, you should try them, they're lovely. Uh, Anyway, uh, before I read the poem that I have, uh, I'd like to invite you all to uh, an open mic that I host on a monthly basis at the historic uh, Montauk Club in Park Slope, Brooklyn, right around the corner from the 2-3 Grand Army Subway, uh, you know, Plaza Subway stop. Uh, the next open mic reading is going to be on the 28th from 1 to 3. Um, a fellow from Brooklyn who I've heard and, and rather liked, named Stephen Bluestone, will be featuring as will I. So uh, feel free to stop by. Those of you who haven't received one of these flyers, there are some on the table there, or see me. Uh, just a couple of notes about the poem that I'm going to read. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the history of the Donner Party. Uh, yeah, well, I guess, I guess you are. Wait. Well, I didn't eat dinner tonight. Neither did I. <laughs> Neither did I. But I got some chicken wings for you. Now, uh, at any rate, for those who aren't familiar, it was a, a, a caravan of uh, covered wagons that left St. Louis in 1946, uh, 1846, heading from St. Louis to uh, California. They got stuck in a pass after trying to take a shortcut. Uh, most of them didn't survive. Um, they ate everything, including the roofs, the hide roofs of their huts, and when they ran out of everything, they ate each other. Uh, there are two references in here that I need to explain. One is to the Eddie and Foster families, two of the families of which the Donner Party was comprised, most of whose uh, members didn't survive that winter. And then there's also a reference to forlorn hope, which is a term by which a failed, largely fatal attempt to escape Donner Pass on homemade snowshoes came to be known. This is called 
last surviving member of the Donner Party. Mostly, I missed dessert. <laughs> we ate them. We ate them all. Funny the manner in which I learned to clean my plate. I was only a child, remember. At that age, I should have been feeding on mother's milk, not on mother and brother, on Eddie or foster kids at Truckee, now renamed Donner Lake. Certainly, they didn't smack of chicken, as some have claimed, sinewy and hard as the frozen ground they died on, snowed in. After the oxide was gone, we chewed on skin. We children sucking ourselves to sleep on pinky fingers that passed for pacifiers. In light of this experience, I would not kiss even the ring finger of the Queen of England as too much reminding me of those killer months at Donner Pass. Later, at Sutter's Fort Bear Valley, rescuers sometimes would joke that females went down easier, softer, less chewy. I myself was too young to make such comparisons, unable to distinguish brisket of matriarchal breast from patriarchal tongue. Forlorn hope snowshoe party survivors, perhaps having developed a taste for it, have told me that we were pushed to our limits, scarfing down the hide roofs over our heads, boiling saddle leather before we made salvatory soup meat of our dead. I cannot confirm or deny. Hope apparently having proved too thin a gruel for sustenance. Too many having given an arm and a leg so that others wouldn't die. <laughs> you just say food for thought. Wow, I'm pretty sure that was our first cannibalism poem. <laughs> the, uh, two tender poems and one cannibalism poem. I want to see the movie where like people don't eat the other people at the end. You know, it's always like they like give in at the end. What's gonna? When's gonna be the movie where people are like, no, nope, not doing it. <laughs> I'd rather starve than eat my dead mother. <laughs> God, we're so bad. <laughs> Our next reader is Jen Ozero. Give it up for Jen. Yeah, good. Thank you, Arthur. I'm glad you're here. Um, I chose between two poems tonight, and one of them was um, about telling, about one of the hundreds of experiences like so many of us that I've had with abuse and um, I opted not to because I just need a fucking break from this shit so this is a different poem um, it's called Dick Dream <laughs> it's called Dick Dream from Rutgers 1992 I was watching myself riding alone in the back of a yellow cab one of the old-style checkers with its bulbous outer shape. The cab's interior seemed huge. I was extremely tiny, less than a foot tall, a smaller version of myself, my feet not anywhere near the edge of my deep red seat. 
the driver far off in the distance, a heavy plastic window between us, yellowed, I knew, from his incessant smoking. We were somewhere in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and I knew, too, this was quite real. The driver was speaking Chinese to me insistently, conversation, conversationally, and I kept saying, that's Chinese. I don't know Chinese. <laughs> the sound and the fury seeping in. I realized suddenly I was in the front seat now driving, and worse, I didn't know how to drive, had no license. There was no passenger, just me, my legs moving back and forth mechanically. I shifted gears awkwardly, the clutch grinding, my big gray feet leaden in metal shoes I was wearing. I didn't even have to look, not responsive enough, I knew. I was about to lose control of everything worse than that. I caught a reflection of myself suddenly in the rear view mirror, and everything stopped with the recognition that I had turned into Richard Milhouse Nixon. <laughs> when I looked in the mirror, I saw him, short, black hair, jowled, and his potato head, <laughs> staring back so much disappointment in my eyes. I'd known it would come to this someday. <laughs> So good. <laughs> that might have been our first Richard Nixon poem, too. <sighs> he almost seems good now, doesn't he? This is, this is, this is <laughs> I'm not old enough to remember that. You're probably right, Arthur. But George, Bu George Bush like seems kind now. This is, how, this is how fucked up our life is. And I remember that dude was not good. I feel like I always say I'm old enough to remember, so I'm happy I finally said I'm not old enough to remember. Uh, aren't, is John Michael Cologne here? Yes? No? John Michael Cologne? Okay, it's such a great name. Too bad he's not here. Uh, our next reader is Alan Braverman. Give it up for Alan. Hey, it's so good to be back at Jason Coot Poetry Yop. Last month I was in synagogue. <laughs> okay. I wrote my own interpretation of a holiday song. I know it is premature, but I might be, uh, it, it, I, I might be away in December. The title is the Pre President Trump is Coming to Town. I'm going to sing the first line and the following lines after every stanza, I'm going to raise my hand if we can sing together, if you feel comfortable. <laughs> I'll raise my hand, and after the final stanza, I'll read my own ending. Okay, here I go. Whew, I don't have a great voice, but you better not shout, you better not pout, you better be good, I'm telling you why. President Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're a liberal Democrat, support immigrants to the core, he might want to send you to a foreign shore. Oi, you better not shout, you better not pout, you better be good, I'm telling you why. President Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're a minimum age worker, paying taxes to the score, and Trump a billionaire, no taxes anymore. Oi, you better not shout, you better not pout, better be good, I'm telling you why. 
President Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're against his friend Tsar Putin, as his hackers open the door, undermine our election, while R Trump voters begin to soar. Ooh, you better not shout, you better not pout, better be good, I'm telling you why. Donald Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're aware he is a misogynist, degrading women evermore. Watch out when he's traveling, even on a presidential tour. Oi, you better not shout, you better not pout, you better be good, I'm telling you why. Donald Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're endorsing a UN resolution, a two-state solution be the law. The Donald agrees with Israelis Netanyahu to simply close the door. Oi, you better not shout, you better not pout, better be good, I'm telling you why Donald Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're a believer in global warming and against extracting mineral ore, he'll toggle those who endorse it, headed by Al Gore. Oi, you better not shout, you better not pout, Better be good, I'm telling you why. Donald Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're against the building of his proverbial wall, focusing on the Mexican poor who cross in and knocking them to the floor. Oh, you better not shout, you better not pout. Almost better be good, I'm telling you why. Donald Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're a Me Too woman, condemning Trump's choice of Judge Kavanaugh, ignoring his misogyny so he can freely score. Oh, you better not shout, you better not pout. Better be good, I'm telling you why. Donald Trump is coming to town. He knows if you're opposing him, his executive orders will hopefully never come law and still will rise up and get rid of this wild boar. Oi, you better not shout, you better not pout. You better, ooh, new ending. You better start, <laughs> you better start shouting. You better begin to pout. You're not to be good. I'm telling you why President Trump is coming to town. Get rid of him. That just made me want to cry by the end. <laughs> I was laughing in the beginning and then. It's got more, more and more depressed <laughs> as that went on. Uh, thank you, Alan. First time I've heard you sing. It was wonderful. <laughs> okay. Where's Ricardo, by the way? We need Ricardo back to tell us for sure if people are hearing that. <laughs> if you don't know what that means, that's what Ricky used to say. Boy, that inside joke has gotten old. I'm old enough to remember when that joke made sense. There it is. Our next reader is Richard Fine. Give it up for Richard. it's about right speed trap 186 282 thousand miles per second speed trap and I rushed right into it police officer Einstein pulled me over but I quickly flaunted my stash of soft poor pornography 
of Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe's half-nude pinup photos. And I made sure it caught that genius's eye. After all, there were plenty of rumors about those two. Did that professor take a quantum leap forward by filling two holes at the exact same space and time, relatively speaking? But, <clears throat> but this is only a rumor, of course, of course. Sadly, my distraction didn't work, and it took more than forever for him to fill out that damn summons. <clears throat> for time suddenly crawled like a crippled snail on a wall. I asked why it was 186, 202 miles per second, and not 186, 283, or 186, 281. For would the grand cosmos then fall apart over a misplaced mile or two? Finally, I asked him if his electromagnetic radar contraption was working right. Finally, <clears throat> excuse me, working right, and what is the real scoop about Marilyn and himself? Mm. His salacious grin revealed that it could be true or not true, or false or not false, or false and true, or true and false, or both and neither. In short, a typical quantum mechanical question and paradoxical, paradoxical question of a short, simple yes or no question. Annoyed by my sly interrogatives, he threw a whole planet in the middle of an, of an orbit just ahead of me, and the celestial fabric sunk down into a giant gravity cavity. So much for my cosmological arrogant challenges to his speed limit. Miles, schmiles, space-time be damned. Ah, but the most important cliffhanger question still remains a question. What really went on between luscious Marilyn and the super-ego, <coughs> super-egghead that is yourself in that very warped space-time continuum? Was it white-hot friction or a glop of limp, lugubrious ooze or did anything happen at all? Thank you, Richard. Lugubrious ooze. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, is A.K. Kaiser here? Don't think so. Uh, by the way, let me review. That was uh, our 12th reader. So that was Richard Fine, Judy Schneier, Alan Braverman, Jen Osero, Harvey Sauce, and Shanice Hughes Greenberg, our last six readers. Our next reader is another former Poem of the Month winner. Give it up for Nikki Ritchie. Thank you. Jason, like so many things you tell people about me, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I've come close a few times, I've never won. <laughs> Wow, that's some emotional manipulation of the audience. <laughs> so um, I'm going to add my voice to the sort of disillusionment of tonight. Um, this poem was actually born at a yop. It was the prompt was they told me not to. And it was a few week, few months ago with Lee Stein. Um, 
And I then read a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote from one of her, um, because, you know, that's depressing, uh, from one of her cases in front of the Supreme Court in the 70s, and that is, a gender line helps to keep women not on a pedestal but in a cage. Um, and that kind of got me thinking about a lot of the stuff that we get taught as little girls. Um, as you can hear, I'm not American, so I'm thinking about like little girls all over the world um, who are taught things and just the freedom that we find as we get older and we step away from those lines and we dismantle that bullshit and we're like, hey, look at what else exists. So that's kind of the genesis of this poem, which is called My Body is a Joke. My body is a joke. My body crinkles in crated scars from chicken pox and childhood scrapes. All my memory I've pulled at my own skin. I like the way it comes apart. I have cut, edited, and broken my body in more ways than I know to count. I've forgotten why bodies, like poems, need to be beautiful. But if it's all I've known, it must be truth. So I fold myself until my spine fits my belly and my heart sits in my mouth. I chew the fat of hate, white and slimy between my teeth until it is all I taste and my heart pumps that hatred, white, vicious whiteness down my raw throat. I sit, slick with the shame, waiting for love to fall from my shoulders as I sleep. Maybe that's why I don't sleep. It is imposter syndrome, they tell me. This feeling that success is an ill-fitting coat too long in the arms. Funny how it's only misshaped on women. Joke's on us, girls. <coughs> how we are ridiculed for hysteria, but they wave desires at the end of an erection. How we have been taught to button up our blouses and legs our emotions, to sew our mouths shut and hand over our hearts, to get on our knees and please pray. As a child, I declared myself a feminist and was told there was no need, the worst days were behind us. Ah, oh, yes, of course, I'm sorry, just the dog days ahead in which I am presided over like a bitch. I learned ambition was dirty, made of snips and snails and puppy dogs' tails, a red rover to never get over, lined up over there on the far end of a playground with outspoken, unmarried, barren, vagina, cunt, pussy, clit, or any other noun for the space between my legs or ears. Interchangeable, really these things I was to provide no man access to until he had thrown a white dress on the floor. Well, fuck them. I have bled on more sheets than they'll know. Take a tithing from my swear jar as I repeat myself again and again. Fuck them. Fuck them. I have tried to make myself disappear. Hope to be carried by the wind out of lives and places I have no business being. 
but these heavy thighs and childbearing hips, which have borne no children, which I was kindly reminded to hate, will not stop for any man. It is none of their business to rule my body, to scoop their laughs off my smooth, softened skin. You know what? I just can't. I no longer find satisfaction in shrinking myself to fit a small mind. Thank you. Uh, seems like a winner to me. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm prophetic. That was good. Nikki Ritchie, thank you. Our next reader, former, this, this I'm sure of, former Poem of the Month winner and Poem of the Year winner and Yawper of the Year winner. He's got too many prizes to get it for Arthur Russell. Hi, everybody. It's nice to see you. I'm glad I got here tonight. It was in doubt. The Lincoln Tunnel said no. I said, fuck them. <laughs> this is a poem called The Jetty. I stood on the canted wet black stones piled from Brighton Beach into Rockaway Inlet with coffee and a cigarette whose taste was ruined by the cold salt air. Behind me, the six-story shtetl of bricks and heavy Jewish food backed up to the elevated subway, spine of the old neighborhood, escape route bending north over Mrs. Stahl's knishes towards Manhattan. <coughs> Before me, Grandma Eva's ocean threw up lattices of spume from the blistered sea. I cuffed the drips in winter nose I inherited from my father and squinted toward the wind from Breezy Point, past which I'd sailed as far as Ambrose Lightship once to see the ocean open past explaining. I swabbed locker rooms at 17 and mowed the lawn around white and red impatience planted in the shape of the burgee of the yacht club where I tendered members to their sailboats moored in Sheepshead Bay. Evenings when they'd all gone home on my last run among the tethered boats that always swung to face the tide, I smoked cigarettes and listened to my love on a cream-colored transistor radio with a gold-tone grill and the name Electra etched in red script beside the thumb wheel for the volume. I winched the lightning boats from their trailers on race days and swung them on a davit over the cyclone fence down to the water and I followed them in the committee boat past Kingsborough College and the seaside nursing home where 40 years later my father would die. 
I dropped anchor in the inlet and fired blanks from a cannon to start the race that sent this regatta of school teachers, doctors, tradesmen, and a girl with short hair who climbed telephone poles for Bell Atlantic on weekdays and the masts of sailboats in a bosun's chair on Sundays around a course of red and black channel markers, buoys and bells, white hulls like whale bellies exposed on a broad reach, or raising painted spinnakers on a downwind run like pregnant women promenading in summer dresses, though none of this could reach me in the unhappiness in which I bobbed and waited for the race to end. And then at 33, after years working with a damp towel over my shoulder and my arms crossed on my chest as the exit manager of the Hollywood car wash on Coney Island Avenue, speaking college French with the Haitians who dried the cars and leaving there for law school, still living in Brighton Beach, I stood on those same rocks, reciting mnemonic devices to prepare for the bar exam the summer I also came closest to dunking a basketball in the playground at Brightwater Court. Thirty years later, with hips now brittle as butter chip cookies, I climbed these rocks again to stare at the sea and back at the beach and the boardwalk and the men's room under the boardwalk where a boy once showed me his penis and wonder how the key I turned to open the world had locked me in. I cut my feet on a broken bottle here when I ran with my sister to catch the orange drink man. I came for Tuesday fireworks and found my grandparents laughing with neighbors in folding chairs when they were my age now. I brought girls to my apartment in my red Monte Carlo. I bought sturgeon from the fish store. I lived across from the synagogue where you could hear the men through the open windows mumbling on Yom Kippur while women outside wondered how long after sunset the rabbi would hold them. Thank you. Damn good, Arthur. Glad you got here. Okay. Uh, we got a few readers left. We're almost onto the wait list. Our next reader uh, won Yacht Poem of the Year last year, so give a warm welcome to Shara, Her Shara Hardison. Yes, Shara. That's pretty good. Um, oh, I'm in the wrong place. That's Jason's text. There we go. <laughs> um, so I wrote this a few weeks ago, and the first part is about spiders. And then I went scrolling through an old notebook, trying to find like a good turn, uh, just to shift the direction a little bit. And I found these old lines about my therapist and Sylvia Plath. So I just like stitched them together. And then I just was curious, and I thought, I wonder if Sylvia Plath ever wrote about spiders. And sure enough, I found this great. <laughs> Sylvia Plath poem called Spider. Anyway, I had no idea it was unintentional, but it's a little bit of poetry magic, I think. Anyway, Spider. 
After inviting all those spiders into the house and under the bed sheets to keep them warm, I gained a sense of purpose and lost all six of my friends. <laughs> Hard as it is to admit, life was mostly spiders then. In those days, I saw Sylvia Plath in my therapist's face. Not the image of her brilliant head in the oven that feels like too much to put on a person, but the red lipstick, the white bathing suit, the sand on the beach, all her gentle features alive. This must be some kind of inkblot test. Did I give myself away? I'm so worried these are not the answers anyone was looking for. I can try again, something else this time. I can be what you want. I can send my spiders packing. If only I could find them. They came inside and scattered, ungrateful little shits. And they devour everything. So much for hospitality. I've been picking tiny bodies out of my sock drawer for weeks and crying because I'll miss them. Thanks. Thank you. Arachnids, Sylvia Plath, good combination. Uh, we're on to the wait list. Let's see how many we can get to. Uh, the first poet, I hope I don't butcher this name, is it Akasua? Akosua? Akosua Akuku? Akoku. Do the first name again. Akosua? God damn it. Akos Akosia Akoko? I need to know for the recording, Arthur. This is why I do it. Anyway, say your name when you come up here, and then I'll know. Um, my name's Akosio Kwoku, and yeah, this is my first time ever performing. So, like, bear with me. <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I also talk quiet, so I'm sorry. The mic can help with <laughs> this is about a summer afternoon um, when you realize you don't love someone. Summer afternoon, summer afternoon. To me, those are the two most beautiful words in the English language, Henry James. These days felt as if I was carrying heaven on my shoulders and the world in the palm of my hand. A life so sweet, I relished in these moments. Inebriated off of the precious amber liquor, I slurred my words, Inebriated off of the precious amber liquor that dripped from the sun's golden rays, I slurred my words and felt them jump from the tip of my tongue to form drunken I love yous. My hazy eyes turned a foggy reality into porcelain memories almost too fragile to bring back up. A bird died for fish, flowers devoured the sun like angry children on hot summer days. Fireflies turned into stars we could almost touch. Almost became the word of the day for that summer afternoon. We were always on the brink, constantly teetering on a shaky, unstable ledge. We were there, but I always had this feeling with you, even on perfect days where the wind sang, like today. Uh, the feeling started off small, but it slowly grew, bubbling in the pit of my stomach, eternally turning and twisting my words into knots. Truth is, to love someone's love does not mean you love them. Words that wrapped around my neck like a noose suddenly let go. I was so close, but not quite, to loving you. 
No longer could I let my I love you's trickle down from my tongue like crystalline drops from a broken faucet. A summer afternoon so sweet turned bitter, birds that sang and wind that hummed, a truth told too late. No one ever tells you what it's like to not love someone like they love you, to only love someone's love. No one tells you what it's like to break a heart or how to walk with the guilt weighing down on your shoulders. Almost had become a, the word of the day for that summer afternoon. We were on the brink of something so great, but I couldn't take the final leap. We we're constantly trembling on a now broken ledge. You loved me, and I was so close to loving you. I promise it was almost you. And to me, almost you have been the two saddest words in the English language. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Yop debut. Beautiful. Our next reader is Julie Hart. You know her well. Give it up for Julie. I wrote this one after toiling in the digital salt mines for pennies an hour. <laughs> I found out my true worth to the capitalist system and it's called Sorry Not Sorry. If only I had had more ambition. If only you had had any ambition. If only we had reconciled ourselves to putting off all our desires. If only we had worked full time when our son was little. If only he just vaguely knew who we were. If only we hadn't clung to outmoded ideas of a liberal education. If only we hadn't bartered our youth for some theory of security in our old age. If only we hadn't known that Enron and 2008 were going to steal everyone's pension. If only I'd been able to bury my natural instincts. If only I'd been able to harden my son. If only I'd been able to deny my body what it constantly cries out for. If only I felt more shame, more guilt, more fear. If only I had let villains treat me badly for cash. <laughs> if only I <clears throat> could be satisfied by anger or revenge. If only I took every rejection and negation personally. If only I enjoyed wallowing in stress hormones, free radicals. If only I liked peering into a cell phone the way I adore looking at your face. If only I were different from my real self completely. If only I'd been able to prepare for this world while living in the real universe. If only I didn't love anyone. If only I didn't love you. Thank you. Damn, that ending is hardcore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the whole poem was good, too. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I like the whole poem, too, Arthur. Come on. Um, I'm still waiting for that next Tinder reference we got. We got a few more readers. Let's see if it happens. Um, try to sneak it in. Everybody gets their money back? No, we'd have to have, like, two more, at least. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, our next reader has a beautiful shirt on. Give it up for Christian Lillis. I, 
left the one that just says fag at home. So this, uh... <clears throat> so uh, this poem actually started, I uh, started writing it at the retreat in June when John Marillo, I think I'm saying his name right, uh, gave us his prompt. Um, so it's called uh, Nanny in 1983, and it's for my grandmother. You snap spearmint gum in the obnoxious green armchair. Scent sweeter than the first, scent sweeter than the menthol rush of my first love's first cigarette. A mass market murder mystery lies in your lap. The plastic wrap crinkle whispers against the hard cover as you crack punctuate each page turn. Dentures lie beside your homemade iced tea with two sweet and lows and a gargantuan lemon wedge. It's Friday night. All nine of your Irish Catholic pantheon flood the house by dusk, scattering through Brooklyn, leaving us to watch Battle of the Network Stars in your shadow on the living room floor. I lie belly down in my guilty hope of marrying John Dukes of Hazard Schneider. <laughs> Lying in the crackle of your spearmint gum, I listen to you snap through each page. For a while, free of toil, living through the fiction of women in peril, who, like you, don't need saving. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. We got time for two more, All right? Uh, the next reader, I hope I got this name right, Stacy Skolnick, is that right? Give it up for Stacy. So preemptive with the mic. Uh, hi, I'm Stacy. I'm gonna read from um, an account on Instagram that I've been publishing on called Mrs. Blue Eyes One Two Three. You should follow me. Uh, I publish erotic poetry and nudes, so intrigue. Um, <laughs> I love your captions and your entire IG. Can I be open about something unique on your poems? I got erect reading at least three of them. Is that okay? Haha, <laughs> exactly. Poetry has more to do with the reader than the writer anyway. Can I ask you more or tell you more about me? Well, I'm bi. Date women, but sexual with both. I like big, tall, hung guys. Size matter to you? Just curious. LOL. Gotcha. I love eating pussy, but, I'm, but I have to. I'm tiny. Covers eyes. Would you fuck a small one? Cool, cool, just curious. I've had some incidents with it. The first time my ex saw, she said she needed an open relationship. She fucked other hung men the whole time. She needed to be filled. She fucked another guy like three or four times a week. She often let me listen and masturbate, which I lived, loved. Thoughts? Sure. Can we keep talking? Tomorrow or something? Are you not into this? Our open convo, getting to know each other. Am I not your type? Or just not attracted to me? My size? Gotcha. Sorry, I still have so many questions. I know you're busy, but your pics are amazing. Don't want to talk anymore? Totally respect that. Just like a quote or a screenshot or what? Are you going to make fun of me? I got nervous. I really like your page and think you're incredible, but I know I'm not your type. I want to, of course, respect that. Like on your IG page with my name and photo blacked out? I do really like humiliation. Yes, it's my favorite part. Oh, very much, yes. That's probably my all-time favorite. 
I've always loved to be humiliated over how small my cock is, how tiny and pathetic it is, how much smaller than most men. There's something sexy about a woman letting me know I'm not enough. I mean, no, but yes. I mean, average is six, I'm well below that. May I tell more? I love to watch a partner fuck another man while I'm forced to wear my cock cage. I like what I like, including wearing panties, currently wearing lingerie. Interested? Or not your cup of tea? Haha, ha, no, I'm not, but that's a funny visual. You're not going to use my profile pic or name in your post, right? Cool. Gotcha. Any weekend plans? Damn, that was harrowing. <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to check out that Instagram page, man. Whew. Uh, wow. Well, the last reader's going to have to follow that. Uh, good luck. Uh, is that Tosca or Tosia? Tosca? Tosca? Like the opera? That's fucking badass. Give it up for Tosca Di Matteo. Shit, I put my name down, I put my name down thinking I'll try to be brave, but I'm not gonna make it on this waiting list. <laughs> Fuck, here I am. Um, this this is a this is a um, this is a love letter to an employer in which I left in August, and I'm sure everybody's had dreams about their goodbye letters. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Univision is a Hispanic media company, and that's the company I left. Um, so I have to start with. My heart is in Havana, oh na na. <laughs> um, the uh, poem is called Univision's Heart. Open arms, they did greet me like a warm blanket on a cool night. Hopeful eyes, I did spy living dreams of their fathers. Skirts flow from their hips down the hallways, the future dancing with each step. They demand seats at the table, for they will not let diversity be a story time fable. Courageous suits bustling by, day in and day out, hustling, why? Fighting for marketing inclusivity. This life and quest is their proclivity. Informed in the right to walk each step on this earth. No borders, boundaries, no dreams too big. Empowered in their actions to create new paths with machetes dripping with determination. Entertained by the simple laughter of a colleague, letting joy wash over their scars of adversity. The tulip but a reminder of the hearts that beat here in this country, yearning for equality. Sorry, yearning for opportunity and equality, knowing that love conquers hate. Like a school of fish in the wide ocean, moving with the UCI current, finding ways to stay together and move forward. With these hearts I stand, and because of you I have grown, inspired by what is left to know. These spirits, they do fly over mountaintops on high, bending to the winds of change, strongly rooted though they stay. A fleeting moment in this life, it seems in these doors, gaining the longest list of friendships which will forever soar. 
the impact of love, belonging, and hope in my heart. These are the reasons I know we will never be apart. Okay, we didn't get any more Tinder, but we did have Tosca, so that's, that's awesome. Uh, before you leave, make sure to get my number so you can vote for Poem of the Month. 718-374-1953. Just give me the poet's name. I'm going to review our entire open mic lineup. That was Tosca DiMatteo. Before that was Stacy Skolnick, Christian Lillis, Julie Hart, Acacia Akoko. I think somewhat near, I'm going to practice that when I listen to the recording. Shara Hardison, Arthur Russell, Nikki Ritchie, Richard Fine, Judy Schneier, Alan Braverman, Jen Ozero, Harvey Sauce, Shanice Hughes-Greenberg, Molly Watson, Haley Milliken, Bill Livingston, Melanie Lee, Phil Eggers, and Jerry Wagoner. All right, got all that? 718-374-1953. Everyone got that? <laughs> 718374. I can't believe you didn't read. This beautiful man didn't read. Did you sign up? I'm talking to you. He doesn't even know who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to him. He's <laughs> like looking around. Anyway, um, so no, you know, no more Tinder, so you don't get your money back. But uh, thanks for coming. Uh, it's, been a hard, it's been a hard week. It's been a hard fucking two years. Uh, our next yop is in November. Does anyone know the second Monday of November? Anyone got an iCal? November 12th, you sure? You positive? Yeah. It's a holiday. Okay. Oh, is it your birthday? Okay. <laughs> these, all these yops seem to be coming on holidays lately. I don't know why, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Veterans Day, so you have nothing to do. You better come here. November 12th, uh, the yop will be led by Robert Gibbons, I believe, who was here earlier. I guess he left. Uh, fantastic poet. He read the poem about his friend who died. Uh, beautiful poet. Come here for that. Um, there are a few workshops coming up. Most of them are online, but one of them is mine. It'll be in Williamsburg. Uh, check those out. Registration deadlines are October 28th. There are only a few spots left. There's a newsletter coming out tomorrow. There's like four or five total spots left in like four workshops. So we've had a good season, but if you want to sign up, you better sign up quickly uh, for those workshops. If you want to sign up for the next open mic, I encourage you to sign up now <laughs> on your phone if you want, or definitely over the next few days because it will fill. It usually fills in a couple of days. Uh, otherwise, you'll just have to hope for the best, the wait list, uh, or the first five open spots. Okay, any questions? <laughs> Oh, it comes out, uh, you know, if you win, I will email you, but uh, it'll be announced on Facebook, Instagram, pretty much every place known to man on social media. Yeah. <laughs> we always post photos from the event on Facebook, and then we share some of those on Instagram. We always share the news of the Poem Month Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and thank God there's not any more. God damn. It's just, it's a lot of work. <laughs> okay, uh, I will see you next time. Thanks. Good night. have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for October. Thanks to Prof. J.P. Howard, the one and only for leading 
our amazing op workshop on poetry and memoir. JP is in the middle of her five-week poetry and memoir. What? <laughs> memoir. Her five-week poetry and memoir workshop, which is ongoing at Building on Bond in Borham Hill. She's got a full class of ten students. Uh, it's the second time she has taught that workshop. It always sells out. So if you didn't get a chance to study with her this time, you can check back next fall when uh, I guess that she will be offering that workshop again. Uh, congrats to Yop regular Nikki Ritchie, who uh, apparently I prophetically knew would win Poem of the Month. She actually hadn't won Poem of the Month before October, but then she won Poem of the Month in October for her incredible poem My Body is a Joke incredibly timely I should add uh, Nikki is, is a fantastic poet has been performing at the Op uh, over the past year and uh, now has a slot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way on December 10th just two months away people in fact at this time of this recording it is only about uh, let's see one, two, three, four, five, six. Six, six weeks away. It's just a month and a half, so I'm very excited for that. We only have one slot left uh, of the 12 that compete for Palm of the Year on December 10th. So come out to the next Yop, which right on cue is on Monday, November 12th. That is two weeks away. This is one of those weird months where you've had five weeks off between Yops. The November 12th Yop workshop will be led by Robert Gibbons who is a newcomer to our faculty, but uh, if you've come to the Yop at all, you know he is a Yop legend. He was one of the original Yoppers and uh, used to throw down every month and just blow us all away. Uh, so we're very excited to have Robert leading this workshop for us. Uh, if you haven't come to the Yop before and don't know what you're doing, go to brokenpoets.org, find the events tab, go to the Yop page and sign up there. Advanced signups for the open mic usually fill within a few days, so the November open mic advanced list is full already, but you can still sign up for one of five open spots we keep uh, at the start of the open mic. Uh, you can sign up for that at the door. You got to sign up uh, during our workshop, or I guess I should say before our workshop begins. We also reserve some spots for the wait list and get to a few quotes off that list every month. So we hope to see you in November. For now, stay well and remember to vote. If you're in New York City, that's on November 6th. These upcoming elections are incredibly important. I don't think I really need to say that if you uh, have a pulse and pay attention to anything. So uh, do that, and then we will see you on November 12th, and hopefully we will be celebrating a little something. Anyway, take care. Thanks for listening. Uh, and I'll check in with you in November. <laughs>